name's Eileen Townsend, and I'm the editor of the Northern Logger and Timber Processor, a trade magazine for the forest products industry that's based out of the Adirondack Mountains in New York State. Oh, hi there. I am just sitting here by a favorite river of mine near my property in upstate New York. And I'm thinking about the logging industry and how every logger that I've met since really starting this job has had a personal reason that they've stayed in the logging industry, an industry that can be good to loggers, but can also be tough. One reason loggers say during interviews that they stay in the industry is their love of the outdoors. They could be working on an oil rig or at a steel mill or teaching school or running numbers at an office, but their love for waking up and going into the woods every day is what keeps them going. And I get it. The forest and the powerful pull of being out in nature is why I'm here too. I've also noticed that loggers are some of the best stewards of the land. It's common that conservationists and loggers are working together in some capacity. And the story that we have today is another example of that stewardship. New York City gets 90% of its water, over a billion gallons a day, from the Catskills and the Delaware River watershed. The creeks and streams that Jaeger Logging works nearly every day supply 9 million people with drinking water. More than 75% of the nearly 2,000 square miles of the watershed are forested, and the majority of these lands are privately owned. Tom Pavlicich tells us about New York City's unique situation and how it led to the creation of the Watershed Agricultural Council. So I think, I think that the biggest thing that sets uh, the New York City watershed apart, actually there's two things that set it apart. Uh, the first of all, it's an unfiltered water supply. The Safe Drinking Water Act requires that all municipalities guarantee the the quality of their water uh, for the water consumers in their municipalities. And most municipalities end up having to filter their water and treat their water in order to meet those standards. Um, New York City is one of very few municipalities that actually has an exemption from that filtration requirement. And they have achieved that exemption in large part because of the forests that exist in their watershed, the the area where they get their water from. And these forests are actually working forests. The landscape is dominated by agriculture and by forestry logging operations. So it's it's no stretch to say that New York City's high level of water quality exists because of land use practices like logging as opposed to more harmful land use management practices like uh, rural development or or urban development, urbanization, uh, parcelization, and land conversion practices that destroy forest land. First of all, the New York City is unique in that it's, it avoids filtration because it relies on land management techniques to maintain that water quality. Um, it's also unique because it's very large. There are other municipalities in the country that also have unfiltered water supply. Boston has the Quabbin watershed, which which is also unfiltered. But Boston actually owns the entire watershed of the Quabbin. Um, they own the land. They own the forest land. They have a high level of control over the amount of uh, the quality and amount of water that their watershed reservoirs collect. 
Um, New York City is really different because it's, number one, it's a lot bigger than Quabbin. New York City watershed is 2,000 square miles. And New York City's watershed is owned by a lot of different private landowners like you and me. Um, Over 75% of the forest land is owned by just private individuals, lots that are 30 to 50 acres uh, of forest land. So so it, it has a very unique challenge in working with all these target audiences, with all these landowners to encourage them to protect New York City's watershed through the decisions they make on their uh, for their forest land. I mean, the history of the Watershed Agricultural Council is actually very, very interesting. It's a bit of a, a David and Goliath story. Back in the early 90s, as a, a result of the Clean Water Act, the federal government was requiring municipalities to guarantee the quality of their water supply for their constituents. So New York City came up to the Catskills and they said, look, the best way for us to protect our water quality is to just prevent agriculture and forestry within 500 feet of a stream. And in that way, we will buffer our our water uh, from these other land uses and ensure the quality of the water. Um, So they were in the process of passing laws to do that when the local communities started to strike back against that and, and put up resistance to it. Uh, because it's the Catskills, the only land that's really suitable for agriculture is right next to streams. And what was happening as a result of this regulation that New York City was proposing, they would have basically shut farming down in the Catskills, and farming is a large part of our communities. That drew quite a bit of pushback from the from the watershed communities. And through the legal fight that was waged between the upstate watershed communities and New York City, there became uh, they came to an agreement that rather than through regulatory measures, laws that New York City would pass, they would pursue a voluntary approach for protecting water quality. Rather than regulating it through a law, they would create programs like the Watershed Agricultural Council and the Forestry Program, and they would empower us to work with stakeholders like loggers and landowners and foresters to help them and encourage them to do the things to protect New York City's water. And by help, I mean we would provide technical assistance to these individuals to help them implement the best management practices to keep dirt out of streams when they're logging. But we would also provide financial incentives to offset the cost that they would bear by protecting New York City's water. Um, Certainly, implementing best management practices requires loggers to spend time on their equipment to install water bars. It requires that they sometimes divert skid trails that would require them to increase their skidding distances. So all of these practices come with a cost to the logger. So we're trying to not only provide the technical assistance just to help the loggers understand better what they're doing out there, what they can do to protect water quality, but we're also trying to offset that cost so that they're not bearing the brunt of protecting New York City's water on their own. Dave Yeager and his son own a hand-cutting operation in the Catskills. He has worked regularly with the Watershed Agricultural Council since 2000. He told us about how he got involved and why customers see his collaboration with the council as an asset. Uh, Yeah, I I started logging 25 years ago full-time. And I started out, I was used to doing firewood and do that type of stuff when I was in the well building business and housing kind of dropped 
and back in the 80s, and I decided to go back into stay in the full logging full time. So that's when I started logging, and back in the 90s, been doing that now for 25 years, uh, working in the Catskill Mountains mostly, and. I travel, I don't travel a long ways from home to usually to about 25, 30 miles from home. I've been doing most of my work. I sell the B&B Forest products in Carroll, New York, so it's close to hauled logs. And, and I sell logline firewood. Uh, I learned about the watershed back in like 2000. And I through foresters doing bid jobs, things like that. I learned about the watershed and started working with them. And, it turned out to be a pretty good deal working with them, and I enjoyed it and got to see people, you know, on the job, which, you know, was never a problem. Everybody, you know, did their thing, what they're supposed to do, and worked out good. Well, a lot of uh, a lot of landowners, they actually like to see the so-called forester on the job. So instead of them putting the job out to bid, if you get a forester in there, more or less, even though it's only over water quality, they don't, they feel safe that they have someone else in, in there other than just a logger in there looking, you know, doing their timber harvest. And they feel like if they have a forester in there, you know, and when you put your roads to bed that they're done properly and, you know, they're not going to get soil erosion and things like that. You know, they're, they, the landowners that, it kind of kind of helps you along when you have the foresters in there. You know, the people, the landowners, they seem to like the information they get from the foresters and things. So it's kind of kind of works out nice. Not all loggers see it as an asset, but Jaeger respectfully pushes back on that. I have logger friends of mine that do work with the watershed. And they seem to be happy with it. And I have some that friends that don't really, I don't know. They just don't want to have a, they feel like they don't want to have someone on their job site. You know, it's like, they feel like, they feel like it's, you know, going to be a hinder to them. And, and I try to explain to them that it really isn't and explain to them about it. And I don't know, some some of them say, well, they'll try it, and other ones say they're not interested, you know, so it's kind of kind of hard to, to get them all to do it. I know years ago when I first started, it, in the beginning, it was kind of, you kind of wondered, well, do I want this to happen? And I tried it, and it seemed to work good, and the Forester at the time was really good, and, and we got along great, and, so, and the Foresters they have today... I get along with all them too, so I mean it's it's kind of I don't know it works out good for me and it works out good for them. The Northern Logger met up with the Jaegers in late February of this year. The father and son were working in the woods adjoining the farmland of Scott Tuttle, a dairy farmer in Wyndham, New York, who also works with the Watershed Agricultural Council. We were joined in the woods by Carl Vonberg, a Watershed Agricultural Council forester for the past 11 years, who's been involved in the harvest this year. He says there's a pretty diverse cross-section of loggers that he works with. 
we do have a, a fairly decent cross-section overall of the type of loggers that work in the Catskill. And they range from larger companies. It's certainly not like what you probably get up in the Adirondacks, but you have larger companies in the Catskills that have maybe three loggers that work together. So there may be sometimes even four, but um, so they'd range from that size where you have a trucker that trucks for the company specifically. You have a skidder operator, a seller, or someone that operates a seller buncher, and then someone who kind of jumps between those jobs overseeing everything, all the way down to just a single operator who um, has his own work, his own equipment, and he may he may just have a skidder. Um, typically, they'll have a skidder and a dozer and uh, use those together. The skidders, um, what they use primarily for skidding the material to the landing, the dozer would be what they use in the woods on steeper ground to bunch the trees to where the skidder can get to them. And so that's kind of the typical operation that we work with. Tom Pavlicich helped me get an idea of the kind of work that the council asks loggers to do to protect the watershed. These steps are often called BMPs, or best management practices. So I think BMPs are really two broad categories. Uh, you know, you can think of them in two broad categories. You can think about BMPs as structural in nature, uh, something like a water bar or gravel that you put down on a landing. Um, a skitter bridge that you bring in temporarily to cross the stream. These are all structural measures that, that loggers uh, do to protect water quality. Uh, on the other hand, there's a lot of behavioral best management practices. Um, things like don't log when soil conditions can't tolerate it, when soils are saturated in the spring or the fall. Those are choices loggers are making, and it's not structural in nature, it's behavioral. Hey, I'm not going to work today, I'm just going to cut and bunch. Up on the hillside, I'm not going to skid it down across the stream yet because the soils can't carry the, the load. We primarily work in the structural BMP world, like water bars, gravel, geotextile fabric, skitter bridges, culverts, things of that nature. The, the, that's what our programs are geared up to provide financial incentives for when loggers participate with us. So by far the most common thing that we uh, provide cost-sharing for, a financial support for, is water bars. And it's, they're not highly technical, they're not super complicated, but over the years we've funded well over 40,000 of these, of these water bars in the New York City watershed. And we pay about $35 a water bar for those. So you can do the math and it's, it's a pretty significant investment, but given the mountainous terrain of the Catskills, the water bars are the most common BMP that we cost share, and it's the most necessary. BMP research across the country routinely finds that water diversion devices like water bars are underutilized. Um, so it's not surprising that that's what we put most of our effort into encouraging loggers to use. Hey, thanks for listening to this month's Northern Logger Podcast. Feel free to check out the pictures and words from this story in this month's issue of the Northern Logger. You can also find the story on our website, www.northernlogger.com. And if you're interested in getting involved with the Watershed Agricultural Council, 
email communications at nycwatershed.org or call 607-865-7790. You can also find them on Facebook. Okay, hope everybody's staying safe out there and keeping that social distancing going and I hope that you're all having a good month and a good mud season.